This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia, The Labor Show. Doc and Krause. If we don't move in our own direction, we're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. This is The Labor Show with Jay Doc and Krause. And a good Saturday night, everyone, and welcome into the Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. As tonight, J. Doc, a very special opening hour we address right here uh, on the Labor Show, America's national energy crisis. We have a great, great show lined up for the listening audience, hour one of the two-hour Labor Show. Absolutely, Joe. Tonight, we're going to be talking about nothing short of America's national energy crisis. Uh, it, 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 it's a very serious situation, mainly having to do with uh, terms like renewable fuel standard program and something called RINs that are putting our refineries and America's energy sector in crisis mode. What, what is the RFS program? The RSF program is a program that Congress created to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and to expand the nation's renewable fuel sector while reducing the country's reliance on imported oil back in 2005 and 2007. What are RINs? In layman's terms, renewable identification numbers. Refineries need to make gasoline blends with specific amounts of ethanol. The ethanol is blended with gasoline for use by automobiles and other vehicles. And if they don't meet specific standards of ethanol in the blends, in a sense the refinery gets taxed. It's, that's layman's terms. Uh, the refinery gets or has the potential uh, of getting taxed at a point of hundreds of millions of dollars, and the effects are potentially devastating. The, I want to remind the listening audience or alert the listening audience, you're going to hear those two terms tonight um, a lot in this hour. RFS, Renewable, renewable Fuel Standard, um, and then as J-Doc said, RINs, um, the Renewable Identification Number. We're going to talk a lot about that. We have a great guest list, J-Doc. We're going to kick things off uh, in a moment with John Bland, business manager of Boilermakers Local uh, 13. But coming up after John, once we get into or come up into the first break, coming out of the first break, Brendan Williams will be with us from PBF Energy. He is the head of government relations. Also, Adam Cattuso from Monroe Energy, government affairs and communications leader. And then a little bit later on in the hour, Congressman Donald Norcross, uh, Congressman Norcross representing the 1st Congressional District of New Jersey. Let's bring John Bland into the conversation. Jay Doc, we'll welcome John uh, in. John, a good Saturday night to you, sir. We're tackling a big topic tonight. Glad you're able to kick it off for us. Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate being here. John, uh, you know, so much going on. Um, I'll go right into it, brother. You've been talking about these RINs for months now, uh, and, and now it's become a major issue. You've also been talking about a potential gas shortage, uh, and as we talked about, the, the, due to the colonial pipeline situation, that has also happened. What's on your mind, my friend? Well, the colonial pipeline, I mean, that was uh, – Something that I didn't predict. <laughs> Don't get me wrong on that one, Joe. But uh, you know what? With these uh, renewable fuel standards, what it's doing to our refineries, I don't think our refineries are going to withstand this unless something changes. And let me tell you something, Joe. Let me give you a little bit of feedback. You know, I've been a boilermaker for 35 years. 25 years of that's been in the field, and I've worked in a lot of different states around the country. I've worked in the oil industry. I've worked in the power plants. And I've worked on a lot of the steel plants. 
This is the biggest threat right now, this RFS to our refineries, all our merchant refineries. And everybody segues to seeing what happened with the Colonial Pipeline. You imagine if we did not have those refineries in the Northeast, we would be in bad shape. You know, I was just down in Myrtle Beach for the last six days. I had to stop four or five times. It took me an extra four or five hours to get down here. Few, quite a few hours, I'm sorry, because I had to stop. There was no gas in those different areas. But like I said, Joe, I'm many things. I'm a family man first, a labor leader, and first and foremost, most, I'm an American. And we need good policies that are in the best interest of this country. And this RFS, Renewable Fuel Standard Program, what it's doing right now, it's going to put our refineries out of business. That's why I've been so passionate about this over the last six months, if not a little further. So having said that, John, you know, we've uh, put together a great show tonight. And we're going to talk about um, not only the consequences, but also what we can do about it. Because we're doing this at our own hands. It's unnecessary. Uh, talk about what our uh, strategy you know, should be moving forward. How, uh, how can we, I, you know, we talk, we know, uh, obviously renewables, uh, renewable energies, uh, it's coming, uh, no question about it. But like we've said so many times in the past, it, it, we don't, it, it, we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can work together and, and, and make this right and keep our jobs and keep our economy flowing. I agree with you, Joe. And there may come a point where you don't need as much product, but right now we do. And you've seen there in a very short time it just what happened. Right now, these range prices, and it's a renewable identification number. So the, all refineries, merchant refineries, they have to pay that renewable identification number. So it's over $1.80 a RIN that goes into a gallon of gas. Now, you're talking about a refinery that possibly puts out millions of gallons of gases. So you can do the math and see how much that's going to cost each one of them. So sooner or later, they're just going to put up the red flag and we're done. Something's got to change. And the point of obligation is not that hard. We could change over the point of obligation. And that's got to come from the EPA, and the president could do that with a swipe of a pen. John Bland, business manager of Boiler Mo- Boilermakers Local 13, kicking us off in uh, the opening hour of the Labor Show with Jadok and Krause. Uh, John, I want to get one last thought from you um, before we roll on, and then we'll uh, bring you back into the conversation uh, again at the very end of the show. But I want to end the first segment of the show tonight, and I want people to understand, just like you did, the significance of when there was no gas on a trip that was planned for you and your family to drive to South Carolina uh, and the colon- and the debacle with the colonial pipeline being shut down because of the hacking and the impact how did that make you feel you just got done telling us 35 years in the space talk about that if you will for 60 seconds well, like I said, Joe, we've been around a long time. Here we are over a short period of time, last four or five years or so, we just regained our energy independence. And 2021 is the time that we're ready to lose that. And, you know, it's, it's okay. It's a little inconvenience for me because I was on vacation. But what about somebody, an emergency vehicle that needed to get to a destination, they can't get gas or anything like that? You know, you take a look, you wipe out what we have in the Northeast, we're in trouble. If, if that Colonial Pipeline is at 45, it runs at 45% capacity filling the Northeast. It runs at full capacity. It cannot give any more product. We are going to be completely dependent on imported products. John, listen, um, thanks for setting the table, brother. Uh, we're going to have you back on at the, uh, in the last set. Uh, we talked about it. Thank God we have those refineries in the Northeast. That's why we didn't see the lines that everybody else saw south of Delaware. So uh, thank you, my brother. Uh, We look forward to talking to you again in the last set. You got it, man. Thank you. And good stuff from John Bland to kick us off. John Bland, business manager, Boilermakers Local uh, 13. We'll get to a commercial break as we jump right into or continue along with the conversation here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT around the Delaware Valley. Uh, we'll get to a commercial break and then we'll continue with a special special show tonight, America's National 
energy crisis. Back in a moment. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by Plumbers Local 690, Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, Iron Workers Local 401, and SEIU Local 32BJ District 1201. This whole nonsense about not giving workers the right to organize with so-called right to work, that's bad. Something like that comes to my desk, I'll be to it, not just because I'm a Democrat, not just because I'm pro-labor, but because I know for a fact that's not very smart. Impacted on the Colonial Pipeline over this past week. As of yesterday evening, Colonial has begun restarting the flow of refined products in their pipeline. This morning, Colonial reported that fuel is beginning to flow to a majority of the markets that they service, and they should be reaching full operational capacity as we speak, as I speak to you right now. That is good news. President Joe Biden with conversation to the American people about 10 days ago. Uh, Jay Doc, as you heard John Bland reference the Colonial Pipeline and the issue that occurred uh, there. We join you back now on the Labor Show with Jay Doc and Krause, America's national energy crisis. And as we teased and talked about uh, at the top of the hour, uh, I've got a great show lined up. We're going to bring into the conversation. Brendan Williams is going to join us now from PBS. Energy. He is the head of government relations. Also in this segment, Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy Government Affairs uh, and the communications leader, J-Doc. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to try and deliver it to the listening audience so they can understand it. And more importantly, well, equally as important, is so they can be educated on the situation. Absolutely. First of all, Brendan, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, We'd like you to talk about the situation right now uh, with the RFS program and the RINs and your primary concerns uh, if something doesn't happen fairly quickly. Yeah, so, I mean, it's really getting to a point where the cost of these credits, these RIN credits, is really oppressive, particularly for merchant refiners. Uh, You guys did a great job highlighting some background on the program. Uh, Just to dig a little bit deeper on that, when... The law was passed. Uh, everybody thought we'd be, there's two problems with the law. Well, one, it mandates more ethanol than you can actually fit into the fuel supply, more, that more engines and infrastructure aren't built to handle how much it mandates. When they passed the law back in 2005, 2007, they thought gasoline demand would be, would it be increasing for infinity, and so we wouldn't have that problem. But we had a recession, you know, cars got more efficient, and so that's problem number one with the law. Number two is the way the fuel distribution system works, a lot of merchant refiners like the ones on the East Coast, we make the the petroleum portion of what you put in your tank. And we send it in a pipe that goes to those large uh, terminals where uh, everything has to get blended, including the ethanol. Uh, You can't blend it at a refinery because if water gets into it, it won't won't move through the pipeline. Uh, So we send it to the terminal. That's where it gets blended in ethanol. But the, the, the refiner, the merchant refiner, doesn't own uh, or control those terminals in most cases. It's uh, other entities, whether it's integrated oil companies or, or, independent, or large retail stations. Uh, but that's where these RINs uh, get detached and, and used for compliance. And so because of that, uh, we have to literally, we're at the whims of the, the folks doing the blending, uh, and have to buy these credits. So when the law mandates more than the fuel supply can use, and you don't have any control over actually being able to blend the fuel to get the credits that way, uh, you have to buy these things. And because of that system, what we've seen is last year, beginning of last year, I think these credits cost around $0.09 cents at one point. Right? Two years ago, I think my company spent $165 million on them. Uh, these credits started going up dramatically throughout the year, uh, to the point where last year we spent more than double that, over $330 million on these credits. Uh, and I think the average price of them last year was about $0.50. Cents. They started at 9 started approaching a dollar towards the end of the year. Now they're at $2. They're almost at $2 right now. Uh, and so if you look at, you know, look at how much this costs nationwide, you know, this actually is a stealth $30 billion tax. Uh, it's equivalent to about 21 cents per gallon. That's more than the federal gas tax. Uh, and it's not going to roads to, 
you know, fund infrastructure projects that, you know, can can use more union labor. Uh, it's it's being paid by two parties. You know, the customers paying part of it, and then merchant refiners are also paying it uh, when they have to comply with the standard. And you know, last year everybody knows the massive fuel demand destruction associated with COVID, uh, and a lot we had eight refineries either close fully, partially, or announce closure just last year. Uh, and uh, you know, the refining sector hemorrhaged money. So now as you know, we see some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we're, we're getting a little closer, and we see that it might actually be an oncoming train called rinse uh, because these costs are so unsustainable uh, that it's going to put a lot of refining capacity at risk at the worst possible time. As John mentioned earlier in the segment, the colonial situation should be a wake-up call on the need for regional diversity uh, in our refining complex. We need, you know, to make sure we're an energy energy secure as a nation. We can't depend on one region, and we can't depend on fuel from overseas. The East Coast used to have somewhere around the neighborhood of 12 refineries that could uh, produce petroleum products that will that met over a, over 30 percent of demand. Uh, now there's only four left, and it has capacity to meet under 10 percent of demand. And if those weren't there, as John mentioned earlier, if there's another colonial situation. You would have seen the fuel lines and the price spikes that uh, people saw uh, south of Delaware in the Delaware Valley and in Jersey and Pennsylvania and Delaware. Uh, so it's a situation that is really getting to the point where it's unsustainable, and we need either EPA or, or Congress to act expeditiously. Brendan Williams from PBF Energy joining us here on the special edition of the Labor Show. I'm going to bring Adam Gattuso into the conversation in just a moment. But, uh, Brendan, I want to get one last quick thought from you. At the bottom of the hour, Congressman Donald Norcross is going to join us. Also in this hour, I'm going to read, uh, extract some information from a letter that was written by Senator Bob Casey, um, and I'm setting, I'm letting the audience know that because I want you to tell us um, where government officials are on the on this tax right now. Are they in your corner uh, or not? Yeah, no, and uh, we've had, you know, we've actually been lucky so far to have great allies like Congressman Norcross. Uh, he's been highlighting the energy security implications of this for a while, and he pointed as soon as Colonial happened, he said, guys, you know, this could be a lot worse uh, if we don't do something about this program. Certainly we're glad to see Senator Casey send a letter. He's also been a supporter uh, in the past, the last time the credits were high. They've never been this high, but the last time they were high, uh, he did weigh in and, and tell EPA, hey, something's got to give here. Uh, and, um, you know, we still saw the Delaware delegation uh, during hearings ask EPA what their plans are to do about rent costs. And, and that actually happened before they started going up. Uh, and so we're at a situation now, though, where, you know, we really EPA hasn't even the, the last year EPA didn't set a standard for this year. So. Um, not only are these credits going up, we don't actually even know what the requirement's going to be yet this year. Uh, and so, um, you know, Congressman Norcross, the letter from Senator Casey, uh, what the Delawareans have, uh, have the questions they've asked for EPA, um, you know, they have all been urging EPA to act expeditiously uh, to do two things. One, you know, they got to adjust the program so that rain costs don't keep going up, stop the bleeding first. And then two, you know, when they set the requirement for this year, you got to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, and uh, so, um, go no, ahead, go, sorry. Oh, go ahead, finish up, Bernie. No, I was just going to say, so, um, you know, we have had um, been lucky to have some congressional allies that are pushing action, and um, we're hoping that uh, EPA will act expeditiously. But the more voices they hear, uh, the, 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 the higher chance we, we have a success. So, so uh, certainly so the more folks call their member of Congress and tell them to tell EPA to act, uh, and if EPA doesn't act that, you know, Congress is going to have to jump in, you know, the, the quicker we'll, we'll hopefully get this problem addressed. So let, let me bring Adam Gattuso in of Monroe Energy. Adam, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, it's great to have you on on, on a show. Uh, we talked about the, the, the potential impact if something's not done. Uh, and, and certainly uh, 
you know, the, we're talking about our refineries in crisis. Uh, certainly, you know, like John Bland said, you know, w- we can't afford to lose any refineries. But you have, uh, when you were in uh, Governor Corbett's uh, administration, you actually witnessed the shutdown of, of three ref- uh, refineries up close and personal, and it devastated the communities. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for giving me this opportunity. You know, going back, it was it was a very, very challenging time. I, I remember the time vividly. We, we actually all got called to the, the Marcus Hook Community Center, and I remember labor leaders there, community officials there, local elected officials there, and representatives from companies, and it was devastating news. And everybody was scrambling, saying, how do we preserve you know, an industry that has been for some families, uh, you know, generations, it's the only, uh, industry they've ever known, the only industry they've ever worked in. And, um, throughout the time in, in governor Corbett's office, I remember, uh, working with municipalities, right. That would, that would end up suffering because the, the tax revenue that was lost, um, school districts, uh, same thing. And, and the worst part, uh, was dealing with, with with men and women, hardworking men and women that felt like they had no hope, that th- something was stripped from them um, and really with with no notice. And, and this is eerily similar. I know Brendan just gave an unbelievable uh, overview of some of the challenges uh, that we're dealing with. And, and it's eerily similar uh, because in a blink of an eye, um, you know, these vital uh, facilities could be could could be gone. I think the colonial absolutely highlighted the importance and how lucky we are to have, uh, you know, you know, four large refineries still operating, you know, on the East Coast. And and without that, as Brendan had indicated, the gas lines, the gas spikes, um, you know, the shortages could have extended far beyond Delaware up into New York State and, and beyond. So we're really blessed to have that, uh, and we definitely don't want to have a repeat uh, of the past. Uh, I lived it. Um, w- when you're dealing with folks that have their livelihoods ripped out from under them, um, you know, especially in, in this case, if it would be a, a federal program that's just not operating as Congress intended, uh, it's it's just not fair. We need our energy uh, and national security protected, and these refineries play a vital role uh, in both. Adam Gattuso is with us from Monroe Energy. Adam, let me get one more thought from you, uh, if you will. Uh, what do you sure. think the public, the public thinks uh, about it? What do they know? What don't they know? You know that that that's an interesting question. This is a. It, 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 I think everyone is somewhat aware of the program because when you go to that gas pump and you stare and it says up to 10% ethanol, this is really kind of that indication of that program. There was an interesting Wall Street Journal uh, editorial uh, that came out last week that said this program adds about 30 cents per gallon uh, to to gasoline costs. Um, You know, I I look and Monroe, I I can speak from our perspective, Monroe has has, uh, really focused on doing everything we you know we can uh to to lessen our environmental footprint and and do a whole bunch of things and i kind of think to myself you know we hear a lot about the environment we hear a lot about um the industry and we want to make sure that we can continue to make the investments into our facility and i know brendan's making investments into his facility to lessen that environmental footprint the reality is um, I, I think the general public is somewhat aware of the program, uh, but there's a lot more uh, to, to learn on it. Uh, let me let me uh, direct this question to Brendan. Uh, Brendan, which two one, minutes to the break, Jada. We let, let's talk about the impact on our energy independence, on all the products that are comprised of uh, fossil fuels. Uh, what people don't know in that regards, and um, and and you know. This, it, Dealing with um, our national security issues, which, by the way, we're going to get to that when we talk to Congressman Norcross. But talk about um, our energy independence and and, and uh, how we, uh, you know, have so many products that are comprised of fossil fuels. Yeah, definitely. So, um, building on what Adam said, one of the frustrating things about this program is. You can't even make gasoline without mixing ethanol into it now. And we've seen, no matter what the price of these credits are, 
there's no more or less ethanol used. And so that's really frustrating, particularly because it's putting strain on refineries that don't just make the gasoline and diesel fuel that, you know, either get you to work or, you know, have those trucks get the groceries to doorsteps during COVID that fuel the jets. But a lot of the chemical products that come out of manufacturing crude oil into usable products are critical for our everyday life. So during COVID, a lot of the chemicals from refineries actually were the key to making N95 masks to help fight the pandemic. There are refiners that make isopropyl alcohol for hand sanitizer. Uh, if you uh, are Toledo refinery, sends chemicals to paint companies to make paint for your house. Uh, even renewable energy, 20% of a windmill is a petrochemical product. Half of the components of an electric vehicle you don't actually get without petroleum. They're refined petroleum products. So really ubiquitous in our daily life. They're the key ingredients to make medicines, um, to make you know, anything with plastic, uh, to make products that we touch every day that we don't know about. And ironically enough, not only will we be more dependent on foreign fuel if, pro if unintended consequences of programs like the RFS shutter American refiners, but the chemical products that uh, go into all of these other things we use in daily life, all of a sudden that's going to get manufactured overseas too. Because uh, mm -hmm. if not only the fuel is getting made over there, but the chemicals that are the feedstocks for making all these other manufactured products, uh, you're going to see people want to invest closer to where those key ingredients are being manufactured as opposed to investing in America. Brendan Williams is with us from PBF Energy. Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy. It's a special edition of the Labor Show with Jadoc and Krause. Uh, as we roll along here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, America's national energy crisis. We'll get to a two-minute break. On the other side of the break, Congressman Donald Norcross on deck. He'll join us back in a moment. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show are sponsored by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Iron Workers Local 405, and Steam Fitters Local 420. We're going to try to work with Republicans in a bipartisan way to find solutions to what really is not working. And back here on The Labor Show with Jadok and Krause here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Tonight we address America's national uh, energy crisis. Brendan Williams from PBF Energy, Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy. Jadok with us in the last uh, segment will be with us as we roll along here in the second half uh, of our number one. And of course, John Bland kicked everything off for us uh, in our number one. Um, before I bring into the conversation, now, Congressman Donald Norcross, uh, who will join us. And I know we're throwing a lot of information, J-Doc, um, at the listening audience. I do want to just pull an excerpt out of a letter that was written on the 18th of this month, uh, 2021. The letter was written uh, by Senator Casey, um, it, it was he was writing the letter regarding the renewable fuel standard RFS and the renewable identification number. So he was addressing both with uh, which we talked about and kicked off, and that's the subject of the conversation. Um, just a quote: allowing RIN prices to spike to these levels makes it extraordinarily challenging for refiners to engage in economic planning, budgeting, let alone to attract capital to undertake the long-term major investments. And that's just part of the letter um, that Senator Casey put in support uh, of the conversation that we're having. With that now, let me bring in Congressman Donald Norcross, JDOC, who joins us here uh, on the Labor Show here on a Saturday night. Congressman, thanks for uh, jumping on uh, and being a part of the conversation tonight. Very much appreciated, Jay. Uh, this is a big, big deal for our country. Well, uh, Congressman, uh, and, and having said that, uh, no question about it in so many different areas, but in your particular area and neck of the woods, with your position uh, on the Armed Services Committee, talk about um, about your concerns in regards to national security concerns as related to the RFS program and the RINs. 
So thanks for the question. Uh, I have the uh, unique perspective of working at virtually every refinery in the Delaware Valley over my career. I know what it takes to run these places and to maintain them. I also know what good jobs they provide. But putting all that aside, because we are entering a new paradigm with the fossil fuels in our climate, nobody's denying that. But what we have here within the last two months, major disruptions to the fuel supply chain, particularly in the Northeast. Texas, when they shut down, their refining capacity shut down, their pipeline shut down. Now, thank God we had the refiners to make up some of that uh, interruption that was coming up north. But the fact of the matter is they're going under because they can't make money because of these rents. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Then Colonial Pipeline takes a hit just for a week. You saw the panic literally up and down the coast. Well, Colonial has been at capacity for years. You're not going to put any more in there. And the fact is, over the last two years, 10 refineries have shut down. So what does that mean? We know where that Achilles heel is. It's Colonial Pipeline. You shut that down. Jet fuel for those fighter jets, for everything that we as a country need to protect the world. Uh, let's talk about Langley Air Force Base, Dover, McGuire, Hanson, Andrews. All of these are part of the jet fuel that comes out of these refineries. Pandemic has taught us one thing. Control of that critical supply. We found out China held out on us on some of the pharmaceuticals, rare earth materials. So the idea that Hask, House Farm Service Committee knew this was such a fundamental issue, they put together a task force so we could dig down and find out where our vulnerabilities are. And guess what? It's right here in our own backyard. We lose these refineries. It only takes one shot at Colonial that's going to put us in a very, very difficult space. What happened? Jones Act, which means American-made ships, we don't have enough of them. So they literally went the foreign flag tankers to get fuel. Well, we don't want to stand behind other countries so we can get fuel. It's exactly the opposite of what we're doing. Uh, for those of you who remember the OPEC, the odd even days like we do, that's where everybody drove around with two sets of license plates so they could get gas, those long lines. Well, we're only a whisper away from that if we lose this refining capacity. Uh, Congressman, it, it, it's almost like being in the twilight zone. We're doing this at our own hands. Um, what What is behind us? We can, we can fix this, can't we? Absolutely. And nobody is even suggesting that the blending of ethanol is not going to be part of it moving forward. But we created a commodity. Trading of these RINs is completely out of the picture of what we're trying to do. It makes the, the millionaires, you're trading on a commodity. All this was created so that when you blended gasoline, that 10% was on there. Uh, so we have the power to do this. But the fact of the matter is we have a new administration. Quite frankly, uh, President Trump said he was going to fix this for four years and Obviously, that didn't get fixed. And here we are. Uh, right after the uh, Colonial Pipeline disaster, I was on a phone call with Secretary of Energy, Homeland, Transportation, the EPA Administrator, and I brought this issue up. And it's not quite on their screen because they're thinking it's all about cyber attacks, and that is part of it. But the fact of the matter, you lose this capacity. That means any interruption, we're going to other countries around the world to bring us our fuel. And where it really creates a problem is for our military. The joint base right up in Burlington County, we have a refueling uh, group there that flies literally around the world, but particularly Middle East Europe. Uh, guess where they get their fuel from? Colonial Pipeline. Well, that's they have enough capacity to store for a short period of time, but certainly a major interruption would create havoc for us. 
So this year in the NDAA, that's the one bill that we put out that contains all the defense spending and focus. We're going to have the military do a study on what would happen in hopefully we never have a war. But if we get into a war Hmm. and have to send the sort of equipment like we did during the last Gulf War, we would have a tough time if we didn't have these refineries. It's all about the East Coast. Congressman Donald Norcross joining us here. Let me bring in to, we have Brendan Williams uh, from PBF Energy, Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy. Uh, Gentlemen, let me get you to comment on uh, the congressman's uh, thoughts and his statements. Brendan, I'll start with you, and then Adam, I'll ask you as well, uh, just to weigh in and reflect a little bit. Um, Pretty powerful stuff from Congressman Donald Norcross on where he stands on the issue. Yeah, well, Congressman Norcross is right on point. He's been a, a huge uh, advocate for addressing the, the broken nature of the REN system. Uh, and, you know, the uh, country would certainly be better off. There were a lot more Donald Norcrosses in Congress, I'll tell you that. Uh, but what he's saying, he, he hit the nail on the head. If we don't have regional diversity of refining capacity, if we're relying on one region and have to be more reliant on importing fuel overseas, uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going to be, as, as John Bland said earlier, we're in trouble. Uh, and it's, it is, as was just stated, we're doing this at our own hand. Uh, the congressman noted that this actually isn't going to, there are ways to fix this program that aren't going to impact whatsoever the amount of ethanol that's blended in the fuel supply. Uh, in fact, if you actually, refiners don't have to spend all this money on RINs, they would have more capital to actually invest in projects that diversify our energy needs generally, whether that's efficiency improvements at refineries or, in some cases, alternative energy investments. Uh, But they can't do it if you're spending anywhere from hundreds of millions of dollars to possibly a billion dollars a year buying basically fake paper credits that you have to (laughs) basically have to buy from your competitor many times. Uh, it just doesn't make sense, and it needs to be fixed. Otherwise, the the situations, the theoretical situations Congress and Norcross is mentioning could become a reality, and that's the last thing we want to happen. Adam, let me get you to th- uh, let me get you to reflect as well. Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, Congressman Norcross, thank you for your leadership on this issue and and so many others. Really appreciate it. Um, you, you know, the congressman made an, a, a, a really a lot of great points. One I really want to point out is that, you know, the intent of this was to weed us off of foreign oil. And the interesting thing is, with the amount of refineries that are closing and the costs associated with the rinse credits, and we're starting to shut down refineries across this nation, it's now reverting us back to our dependency on foreign oil, which is the complete opposite of what the law was, was supposed to uh, address in the first place. The second thing is, you know, these credits, they were never meant to be a moneymaker for anybody. As Brendan said at the beginning of this conversation, they were a few cents. They were a tracking mechanism. Now it's a huge moneymaker. You don't need to be part of the fuel, um, the fuel system in order to, uh, to, to be involved with, with trading these credits. A lot of people, a lot of industries, a lot of banks, they all get involved with trading these credits. Why? Because it's so lucrative at this point in time. That is not what this law was supposed to address. This was not the intent of where these credits were supposed to go. Um, To put this into perspective, um, you know, Monroe has spent roughly uh, a billion dollars just to comply with this federal program since we purchased the train refinery in 2012. That's a billion dollars of projects that we're not doing at our refinery. That's not putting anybody else to work in the trades. That's not creating uh, efficiencies in our refinery, both from uh, maybe a sustainable aviation fuel or biodiesel or, or anything like that. This is a sunk cost that we never see any benefit from. And to be quite frank, the, the, the people in our region, all the constituents, our community members, right, they don't see the benefit from us basically exporting a billion dollars away from our refinery. We'd like to invest that money right here and put our Delaware Valley men and women to work. Oh, man, J-Doc, that's a staggering, staggering number. It is I staggering. mean, it's unbelievable. Congressman Norcross, talk about what your fellow uh, members of Congress are saying uh, at this point in time. 
So you can imagine people listening to this program trying to follow the complexity of what we're talking about. I raise my hand Uh, as well, sir. I raise my hand as well with that. Oh, yeah. And that's exactly what's going on uh, with most members of Congress. They have so many things on their table. What's this commodity? They don't understand the supply chain. uh, And that's why I am speaking so loudly. This is not about abandoning our transition to a cleaner environment. We know that. I am all in. But we have to get there. This shuts down. You saw the panic over the last couple of weeks, and that's just a bump in the road. Uh, the idea of going into a winter, we went through a full year of uh, pandemic where the supply was very low, and it kind of fell off the table. Well, now it's coming back. People are jumping in the cars. If you can't get the gas there, and come this winter, we got a big problem. So I have been trying my best. We were talking in the White House, so some good news there. Cedric Richmond, who served with us in Louisiana, as a refinery in his old district, he understands this. But it's just trying to get them focused that this isn't about not blending with ethanol. This is not about a cleaner environment. This is making sure as we go to that new future, we get there without the panic. And quite frankly, we could go at risk if we went into a war and can't get that jet fuel. That's a big deal. And Congressman, that's exactly what my point was next. Um, We could be sacrificing our energy independence to to countries if we got into a war um, that would literally control, like, you know, we talked about the pharmaceuticals that we couldn't get uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. We could literally be in a situation where we surrender our energy independence to a a country that we're we're at war with. I mean, are, are we... Is it possible we're going to be educate, able to educate our, our political leaders uh, as well as the general public before we end up making a mistake we can never recover from? Uh, so we had the general in charge of Transcom. They're the one who handled all the refueling for the world. It's all about logistics and brought it to his attention because it didn't really make uh, the top of their list because they had enough uh, capacity in their tank farm that this one week didn't impact them. However, again, we lost 10 in the last two years. We started losing more in the Northeast, and that's going to have them looking at trying to move that fuel around in a tough time. You know, if we think back, you know, I worked at Mobile. Mobile used to do the research, go drill it, bring it up, refine it, and sell it. It was a supply chain on one. Very little that's going on anymore. And the idea of creating this commodity sounded good, looked good on paper, but the reality is uh, it's making a few people very rich and it is creating havoc for the rest of America. Congressman Donald Norcross joining us here on the Labor Show, of course, representing the 1st Congressional uh, District of New Jersey. Also, uh, Brendan Williams from PBF Energy, head of government relations. Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy, government affairs and communications uh, leader. We have about four minutes left before we go to a quick break. Um, Brendan, I'll start with you if you can. I want to try and help the listeners of the Delaware Valley visualize what it means when you talk about no fuel. Nobody, we, we learned about it here in Philadelphia, but none of us stood in the line waiting or pulling up to a gas station and waiting. We didn't experience yeah, it. Yeah, we How did, do we on. get them to experience we, we, we it? We didn't experience it with all the panic that was going on across the Delaware Valley because like John Bland said, like Brendan said, like Adam said, and like the congressman said, we have refineries here in the Northeast that are operating. Okay, so we were fortunate enough to where we could survive that, that short period of time, thank God. Those south of Delaware that, didn't, that had the refineries shut down, there were lines around the corner. So, you know, that's what we're talking about here. We, you, you're right, Joe. we got to visualize this. Brendan, pick it up from yeah, there. we got mean, about three very, and a half. Right, and so it was... It wasn't too far away from 
the residents of the region where there were gas lines. Northern Virginia had them. Delaware, which you can you could drive to Wilmington and from D.C. in about 90 minutes, did. Uh, it's like if you have a house in a coastal zone uh, and a hurricane comes, it's the difference between whether or not, you know, just uh, the house next door is going to get flooded and washed away, but, you know, you're, you're standing in, in a good spot or everything gets washed out to sea. Uh, it's, it doesn't take a lot to have a disruption. If, you know, think about it. We used to have 12 refineries on the East Coast, in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast, and now we're down to four. Uh, and, you know, those aren't a lot of, there's, there's not a, enough fingers to plug more holes in the dam uh, if, Anything, if anything breaks moving forward, if, if it's colonial and then we have some kind of other disruption uh, somewhere else, uh, it's like squeezing a balloon. They all interact with each other. And while this time the people in the region didn't experience the gas lines because we have those facilities there, but all they needed to do was look down the road a little bit and see some of their uh, neighbors to the south, to the west, uh, and not too far to the south and the west, experienced a completely a different scenario. Uh, it's uh, here in the, you know, I live in the D.C. metro area, uh, and uh, it's for whatever reason, nobody in this region has learned how to deal with snow ever. If you talk about half an inch of snow, you can go to 7-Eleven, and there's no milk or bread. There's plenty of water and stuff you actually need, but for some reason there's no milk or bread, Right. Um, so, you know, it's think about everything you would need preparing for a winter storm. And, you know, there's not only do you show up and it's not there, but the store to get the stuff at isn't even there. Congressman Norcost, let me come to you for last word. We've got about 40 seconds before the break, and I appreciate all your time on this Saturday night. And I really appreciate that bringing this to light of everybody. I talked about how difficult it was that we created this problem ourselves. But let's also remember those men and women who work there, who go to work each day and bring home enough food so their families can make it. Uh, that's important. These are good-paying jobs right here in America. And John Bland and all the building trades who have built this capacity, you lose it. You don't put that back together overnight. This is the Delaware Valley has one of the most talented building trades in the entire country to keep these refineries running. So we have to do this for our country and for the men and women who count on this for their employment. Congressman Norcross, thank you very much for jumping on the show here on a Saturday night. Brendan Adams, stay there. John Bland will join us as we take a 60-second break and come back to finish up uh, the special one-hour show. Thanks, Congressman. Appreciate it. Thank you. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause are presented by DC 33, Local 1637, News Guild 10, and IBEW Local 98. Choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor when planning your next project. And back here on The Labor Show here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Just a few minutes left, J. Doc, as we address America's national energy crisis, show one of many to come. Absolutely. And I want to... Uh, bring back on Adam at the two. So Adam, uh, we, we, we talked about your experience and we only have about a minute or minute and a half here, but um, mm -hmm. one of the things we didn't discuss was Monroe cares about the environment. Talk about mm -hmm. Monroe's focus on sustainability and what these current issues are going on, uh, make it difficult to, uh, to address it. No, absolutely. You know, Monroe does believe strongly in doing our part to, to build a more environmentally sustainable future. We've invested hundreds of millions of dollars on different initiatives that reduced our environmental footprint and increased our facilities' reliabilities over the year. And if you think about it, greater reliability, um, you know, reduces the chances of offset, which would which would lessen environmental impact. So those are all great things. However, we'd like to do more. What the congressman said, looking at sustainable aviation fuel, looking at uh, biodiesel production, those greener fuels that a lot of folks do talk about. 
they take a lot of capital in order to move those projects forward. Unfortunately, when you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a program that it enables you just to comply with a federal program, it doesn't leave you any additional dollars to do those sorts of projects. And one important point I'd just like to hit on that, that the congressman made at the very end, he talked about the men and women that go to these facilities for their, for their work every day. Back when the refineries closed uh, in southeastern PA, the Department of Labor did a study. And what they found at that point in time in 2012 was actually astonishing. They said for every lost refinery job, 18.3 people in the community will lose their job in southeastern Pennsylvania, 22 in the state, and 61 across the nation. So when we look at a refinery, we can't just think about the men and women that work there. We need to think about the building trades. We need to think about the local pipe manufacturer or the trucking industries or all of those industries that end up supporting these refineries. Literally tens of thousands of jobs. John Bland joins us back here for John Bland, 35 years at it. Wow, Uh, really impactful statement uh, by Adam. Uh, Just a minute or two to go, John, but I know you've been listening to the entire uh, program. Let me give you opportunity to weigh in. Appreciate it. Uh, You heard everybody speaking on it. Uh, Very nice talking points, but it's reality. And I'm scared to death because, like I said, if nothing changes with this program, we're going to lose our refineries. If we lose these refineries in the Northeast, other countries are building refineries, and that product will be coming in with or without it, with or without our refineries there. And we need to stop kicking the can down the road right now. We need to fix the RFS, not a Band-Aid. We need to fix. You know, the last time I seen this done, somebody appealed and challenged the obligation in 2017. The EPA's commitment and what comments back to that were, it was going to be too hard to fix. Well, that's not good for the United States of America and not good for our country or our companies. On that note, from John Bland, business manager, Boilermakers Local 13, our show comes to a close. Special thanks to Congressman Donald Norcross, Brendan Williams from PBF Energy, Adam Gattuso from Monroe Energy. That's going to do it for our number one of the Labor Show here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Stay with us. Hour number two on the other side. Portions of tonight's edition of The Labor Show have been sponsored by Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, CWA, Communication Workers of America, and AFSME Local 1739, DC 47. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management.